Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. My name is Josh Wilhite. I'm the director of equipping here at City Bridge. It's been an absolute blast to be running with guys and prepping for Med's Bible study. Uh, but today I get the privilege, the fun, the honor of sharing with you Psalm 46. Uh, it's, it's big for me because I've been chewing on this psalm for some time. It's something I have needed. Uh, and then when I got invited to actually talk about it, that was just this really cool uh, thing for me, for these two ideas to come together for me, uh, what God's doing in my life and what he's doing in yours and me to bring that to you, okay? So uh, I want to share with you a bunch of what I've been learning out of Psalm 46. But if we're gonna do that, you gotta understand if we're talking about Psalm 46, we're talking about fear. Uh, that's what the psalm's addressing. And if we're talking about fear, then I need to share with you a little bit of something that uh, I've been experiencing lately called virtual reality. Uh, I, uh, I borrowed this. I don't know if you ever, have you ever messed with virtual reality? If you haven't, uh, it's, it's been around for a while, but they've really, this technology is really coming to its own. So this is a virtual reality game called the Oculus. And you put these goggles on like this and you strap them on and it, it takes you to another world. There's little speakers in here uh, and it just lies to your senses. It, it, it convinces your brain that you are in places that you are not actually in. And it's this really trippy experience. Um, I was thinking about actually doing it live here, but me taking a header off the stage didn't <laughs> seem like a good idea. So uh, I wanted to show you an illustration. Basically what I did, uh, we, we, there's this game on here called Richie's Plank Experience. Has anyone seen this? No? Okay, well, let me tell you. It's an opportunity for you to terrify yourself. Um, <laughs> To, to believe in your brain that you're going up 40 stories and the elevator door opens and there's a plank and you just walk out on the plank 40 stories up and you can actually fall off. It's amazing. But instead of me trying to show you that live here, let me just show you a video of a guy doing this uh, and it's a split screen so you can see what he's seeing and then you can see what the people around him are seeing and the difference, all right? So take a look at this. Hit plank. There you go. And then click donut. Whoa! <laughs> I'm supposed to walk out there and grab a donut? Yeah. Nuts? <laughs> wow. I can't do this. Come out here, I'll give you your 20 bucks back. I don't, you know, keep it. <laughs> no way. It's not secure. <laughs> No, I'm not doing it. Yeah, but you can pick up the donut and you can eat it. No, because the plank's going to break. Oh, it doesn't break. It doesn't break. I'm we've not been, We've been across me. it 5,000 times. Maybe I can eat you. <laughs> <laughs> <It's gross>. <laughs> <laughs> Shake it. So I won't tell you which of my family members when we were doing this, I was actually curled up in a ball on the ground saying, I'm not doing it, I won't do it, I won't do it. But like, I don't know about you, some of you probably would have no, no problem with that. Some of us do have a problem with that. Uh, but, but what's crazy about this virtual reality is it, like I said, it lies to your senses. It's designed to capture your senses and tell your brain something is real that's not actually real. And you can see the difference, right? Probably the most fun thing about VR is watching other people do it. 
because you can see that difference so strong, right? You got this, these goggles and then you hold these, they call them controllers, I think, right? And these are your hands and this is what you use to control your environment. And what was interesting to me to watch my, was how tightly I would grip these, right? You're, you're out there and it's like you, your grip tightens and, and your chest tightens just like it's a real experience. And so my question for you is, have you ever been scared? Like super scared? And when you get scared, can you relate to the tightening of the grip on the controllers? Right? See, I, asked my, I, I, I made the mistake of asking my wife, hey, what scares me? Right? Because I go out the bat, I'm like, yeah, needles. I got a needle phobia. Sorry. Uh, and throwing up, can't handle that. That's just automatic out. But other than that, like, we can admit this, right? Like, we, we all have fears. Other than that, like, I'm like, I don't, I don't, I, nothing jumps to my mind. I'm no, I know I'm not above fear. And uh, she's like, oh, there's something going on with your reputation for sure. I was like, well, you, you could have paused. <laughs> just, just a little pause. I was like, thinking about that, we talked about it a bit, and it took me back to this event uh, twice, actually, in my life, where uh, two of my daughters, when they were little toddlers, we lived on a very busy road, and they ran out into the road. Uh, and when I was one of the primary caregivers at the moment, they end up in this busy street. And right, of course, I'm scared that I would lose my kids. I'm scared of that outcome and that grips me. But what's troubling about it to my wife's point is as I thought about it afterwards, I was like double scared. And I, as, I, as I unpacked why, I, what, I, what I don't want to admit to you is that part of the fear was I didn't want to be the guy who let his kid run out in the road. It was the looks of other parents and what I thought they might be thinking behind those eyes. And as I thought about what she said, I'm like, man, you, you're, you're right. I have an issue with how people view me and that follows me into all kinds of circumstances. It's a real concern of mine. And so when, when you look at me and I wonder how, what you're thinking, my grip tightens, my chest tightens, my control goes up. Have you been there? So this is my question for you. When, what scares you? What scares you? Get past the spiders, get past the heights, right? And, and think about it. What really scares you when, you're, when, when, when the things that give you stability, the things that give you identity, the things that give you meaning become threatened and your grip tightens on those things? Have you got something? I mean, maybe if you're a student, you're thinking grades. Got to get those AP classes. Got to got to get those grades up because college, because life and everything falls and lands on that, right? If you're a mom and you're pregnant, what happens there if something goes wrong? Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's, uh, I, you know, whether you're a student or you're single or, uh, or, or you've been around for a while and you've got a family, it's, it's gripping to key individuals, key people. I have to have somebody or else. And man, when those relationships get shook, maybe it's your community group, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your health. And you know, because when those things get threatened, when they get wonky, when they start feeling shaky, when you get the diagnosis that the grip tightens and the fear hits, is it just me? Who can relate? Okay, good, then it's not just me and we can have a productive conversation here. 
See, what's happening is the things we cling to get threatened and we're confronted with the fact that they are not permanent, they are not absolute, they are not for sure, but we've staked everything on them. And when they get shaky, we get scared. See, that's what scared is. When your foundations get shaken, the things you cling to. And the issue is, uh, uh, you, what happens to you when that happens? Do you tighten your grip? See, in VR, uh, you're, it, it's... It's telling you something is true. It's telling you the world is, is a certain way and that's causing you to tighten your grip. But what I wanna submit to you today as we look into Psalm 46 is maybe on some level, this is how you're actually living. And, but instead of seeing a fake world, you see a very real world, a world that matches the way things are, except it's leaving out key realities. It's filtering out key realities that would change everything about how you feel in a given moment. And what we want to address in Psalm 46 today is the reality that, that your VR world is leaving out is that God is present. God is present. And when we're confused on the presence of God and the power of God and the reality of God in our lives and, and that's not there and all we have are these things that we grab onto, that's what's happening when we get scared. Does that make sense? And so what I want to address with you in Psalm 46 is what God's been doing in my heart, and that is addressing the fear, addressing the confusion that's driving our fear in Psalm 46. Does that work? Sound interesting? All right. Well, in the spirit of Derek's challenge to memorize a psalm, I've been working on Psalm 46. So to read it, I'm just going to try to recite it. Give me some grace. I'm going to try to recite it in front of a whole bunch of people for the first time, okay? But you can follow along in your, in your text. And it goes like this. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and they foam, though the mountains quake at, the swell, at its swelling pride, Selah. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning comes, when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He breaks the bow, he cuts the spear in two, he burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. I think I missed a Selah in there, but there's three of them, just so you know. I was like, you try it up here, right? <laughs> so 
So what, what he's doing, what the psalmist is doing in the face of fear is I think he's giving himself a moment. This is a prayer. This is a, a, a prayer of hope and a prayer of focus around this issue of real fear. And what he's gonna do is he's gonna center himself and he's gonna center us in verses one through five around two realities. And then he's gonna center himself and he's gonna center us in verses seven through 11 around two responses. He's gonna tell, he's gonna give us an option in the first, two first, uh, the first section of like, hey, which reality is gonna dominate and how are you gonna move through your world? And in the second portion, he's gonna say, well, and, and here's how you sort yourself out. Here's how you move forward when it comes to fear. Let's dive into verses one through three. So verses one through three, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. The image here is of chaos, right? So if you're an original reader of this text way back when it was originally written, what you would, you'd be having an emotional response to what he just said. As soon as you see this image of roaring, chaotic water, it takes you back to all of the creation epics that were ever written prior to scripture being written down. All of the false creation epics where chaos was the thing that was out to get us and chaos was the thing that was constantly out to destroy humanity, to destroy everything that mattered. And it was embodied in this chaotic ocean water image. And so when, so when he talks about the waters roaring and foaming, they see an embodied personal reality of something out to destroy everything and everything that matters to you. That's the image. And when he talks about mountains slipping into the heart of the sea, that's not just a nifty image. That's an image of absolute stability. When you talk to an ancient about the mountains, their image is very real places, but in their minds, that's where the gods lived. It wasn't just that it was a big rocky outcropping. Who could possibly move that? It was, no, this is the seat of stability, of all stability. It's where their gods lived. And so this image of, of everything stable slipping into this personalized, demonic, hate-filled, destructive power, that would be a very visceral thing for the original reader to read. And, and maybe not for you, but let me just ask you, what, what are you gripping? The last time you were scared, what was being threatened? What was it? Was it your 401k? Was it your concept of political democratic stability? Was it your kids' outcomes? Was it your health? Was it your grade? What was it the last time you got tense? Now, imagine losing it. All of your money, gone. Your health, gone. That's the image. How does that feel? So this, so this first reality is a reality that is very real for a lot of us because some of you have had diagnosis. Some of you do have children who are prodigal and walking away and you're living through a daily experience of this. This is what he's trying to put his thumb on. That moment of fear and terror and anguish and hurt and scared. It's intense. But he's gonna give you a second reality. That seems like this really abrupt shift because it's completely different. And that reality is a reality where God is. Look at verse four and five. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the most high. Can you just feel the calm? God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. What he's doing here is he's using the same images. 
water and mountains, right? Only the water here is not a chaotic, destructive force. It's a peace-filled river flowing in the city of God, a provision of grace and God's presence and God's nourishment of his people. If you fast forward to Revelation 21 and 22, you have the city of God, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven and from the throne of God is a river It goes past the tree of life and it's a symbol of God's presence and his grace and it's peaceful and it's productive and it's life-giving. And so the psalmist is looking forward to a future hope, a future time when God will make all things new. And in our fear moment, we have that to look ahead to, an absolute certainty that at some point this is all going to settle down. But not just the river, the dwelling places. Did you notice it's plural? The dwelling places of the Most High. What he's doing is a little literary flourish and pointing back to, hey, where do gods live? Mountains. Where does God, where does God present himself? Sinai, Jerusalem's mountains, right? He's just doing a literary, literary move there to help you see that the, when God is present, the mountains don't move. When God is present, the water doesn't destroy When God is present in his city, there is stability and he is a refuge. Do you see it in the text? I'm not just making this up. It's right there. And so who's the, where is this city of God? How do we get there? What, how do, how do I get into that space? Well, guess what? Where does God reside in the New Testament era? Hmm. If you didn't hear the Spirit of God takes up residence in his children. I remember being in Jerusalem and looking at the temple and having that realization. He's not there, he's here. He's here, he's in me. See, God's heart for us is nearness. His heart for us is connection. His heart for me, his heart for you is to be present. And just like I was saying about these VR goggles, it's not like the chaos isn't real. It's not like the diagnosis doesn't happen. It's not like you don't fail the class and fail to get into college if you don't work hard. It's not that those things aren't real. It's just that what's real as well that makes all the difference that helps you transition from reality one to reality two in the middle of the chaos is the truth that God is here to help. God is here to help. See, if you look, if you click out on verses one through five, look what happens. You'll see Derek talked about chiasm earlier in this series, about how the literary idea that, that the, the Orients used, the ancients used often was to bracket key ideas with other ideas. And the interplay between the bracket and what's in the center is really always very interesting. And once you see what's bracketing these first five Psalms is this idea that God is here to help. He's a refuge and a strength. He's in the midst of her. And as a result, he's there to help and she won't be moved. He's a refuge and a strength. Do you see it? That's the truth that your VR goggles that you're working with, I'll try not to fall off stage. That, that, that's the truth that's being filtered out. That's why you're scared is you're confused about the fact that he's here to help. And I'm confused about that. If I wasn't confused, therefore I would not fear. Am I making sense? He's a refuge and a strength. But see, we have these very real and very powerful ideas of what that should mean, don't we? Well, if God was here, then he would, what? He would preserve me from being that guy who let his kids run out in the road. He would have somehow stopped that, right? Or he would have healed me. Or he would have preserved the life of my child. Or he would have, what? 
So we have these very powerful, strong ideas about God being here, but we equate those to rescue. We want him to rescue us from hurt and pain and the things that scare us. We want him to preserve the things we're clinging to, don't we? That's what a good God should do. But listen, what God's not promising, I don't see him promise anywhere in scripture that he's going to save us from pain. If you see it, let me know. Because I've been missing something, right? I don't believe that God spares us from what scares us. I believe that he helps us with what hurts us. He helps us through what hurts us. I'll say it again. I don't think he's here to spare you from what scares you. I think what he's here to do on so many levels is to help you through what hurts you. Mind you, he did not preserve himself from hurt either. Hebrews 12 says that Jesus, because of the joy set before him, despite, uh, uh, he moved through the cross, despising the shame for a redemptive end. So I think our confusion is that we believe that we're on our own. This reality for us is very real, very true, very touchable, except it leaves, it, it inserts this lie into my head that I am on my own. It's up to me and my resources and my people and my relationships and my 401k and my kids thriving and my identity being preserved in your eyes. Holding this up like a beheaded animal. <laughs> kind of works. You see what I'm saying? We're confused about what it means that God is here to help. And what scripture is telling you, what Psalm 46 is telling you just in the first five verses is you are not alone. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of what it looks like, or regardless of what this tells you a good God should do, you are not alone. God is here to help. His heart for you is relationship and his desire is nearness. Sit on that for a second. That's the difference between fear and a lack of fear. So here's the question, how do I get there? It's like, cool, 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 Josh, you're saying this, but here I am, I don't, what, how, how, how do I get this off? That's my question, is that your question? Good news, the psalmist asked the same question. And so he's gonna tell us, he's gonna give us two responses. He gave us the math, if I, if I resolve my confusion about God's, nearness, then I will not fear. Now he's gonna help us get to the point where we can actually cross that line. But he's gonna tell us how in verses seven through 11. So this is what he says in verses seven through 11. It says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come behold the works of the Lord. This is the first time he gives us a command in the psalm. Everything else has been informative to, now, to this point. And now he says, here's what you do. Come and behold. He's gonna give us some more. He says, and this is what you're gonna behold. He makes wars to cease to the end of the year. He's wrought desolations. He makes wars to cease. I missed that line, didn't I? He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Come behold, come behold, come behold. And now he's gonna give you another set of action items. In verse 11, cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And so there's these two action pushes that he gives us. Come and behold and cease striving and know. So what does he mean when he says, come and behold? Come and behold. Look at what God is capable of. Well, the words mean approach and look. Just look. Look at God. Look at what he's capable of. Look at what he's done. Well, where do you look? How do you look? 
Now, he doesn't say this explicitly, but I think we can pull us some reasonable, like, well, here's where you look. I would give you three places to look. If you want to begin building a framework that's going to pull you out of fear and into peace, will you look at Scripture? I mean, where do you see about God wreaking desolations and causing wars to cease? And, and by side note, if what you see here is a scary God destroying things and that's what's sticking in your head, look at what he's destroying. He's destroying the implements of chaos. That's what he's destroying. He breaks the bow, he cuts the spear into, he burns the chariots, he breaks these warlike things that cause the chaos among the nations. That's what he's destroying. So if you have an image of an angry dad in your head, when you think of God as he's written here, you're, you're misreading it. If this dad's angry at all, it's to get rid of the things that are threatening his family. Does that make sense? So you come behold and you look in scripture and you're gonna see story after story after story of God doing that. Old Testament, New Testament, you see tons of story. The most poignant story you're gonna see is the story of Jesus himself, Right? In the New Testament, you're gonna see Jesus being born humbly into really, really rough circumstances that the Father does not save him out of. The Father does not remove the pain. He walks with him through it. And you see in the book of John, Jesus constantly going to the Father, drawing strength and resource and focus and clarity from, from the Father and mission from the Father. And you see him get really close to people and build really tight friendships. And then guess what happens? He's betrayed. And he's abandoned, right? And instead of clinging to the controllers and trying to make that work, what does he do? Not my will, but your will. And he continues to trust and he continues to lean and he goes to the cross and he's worst case scenario. His mountains definitely slipped into some seas, man. And then guess what happens? He's, he dies and he's raised again and, and now we're all here. Amen? So you look to scripture for stories about God's presence and what it looks like to walk with him through chaos. But you don't just look at scripture, you also look at other believers. I want you to see something in the Psalm. Every pronoun is plural, except when God is talking. What do I mean by that? God is not my refuge, he's our refuge. He helps us, right? And so we look to other people and see what God has done. We read biographies, right? And we, and we look at the biographies that are going on all around us. Says, Guys, that's why City Bridge shares stories constantly. That's why we're constantly sharing stories. We want you to hear and see that God is actively moving. He's actively present in real people's lives and life change happens around here often. Who's got a story? Who, let me see some hands. Who's got a story, right? And so we share and we ask for help and we ask other people to enter into our suffering with us, to be the hands and feet, the presence of God in our lives and to tell us stories. And so we look to scripture, we look to other people, but we also look to our own lives, right? This is a discipline I've struggled with, but my wife has really helped me. And so uh, over, over the years, we've, we've had what I'm starting to call God sightings. These big moments and these little moments in our lives where God showed up and there's no explanation. And not just that cool things happened, but the, the thing that my heart needed in that moment. I have a God story about a glow bug landing on my knee. It would take too long to explain why that was such a big moment for me and God. Right, but I have a God story. Just last week, we went out to, to we're, we're burning through our vacation budget. We got a little bit left, and we're like, "How are we going to blow this out? Let's do this. Money's a little tight, and uh, uh, for, for the vacation, but we're going to do this anyway. We're going to do it up, and uh, and we go out to dinner or we go out to lunch, and the bill's probably going to be like seventy-five bucks for all five of us. You know, nothing huge, but something, and." Uh, 
And we go to pay for the check and the waitress is like, oh, it's been handled. I was like, say what? And I'm looking around. I'm like, I didn't see anyone I knew coming in and we have no idea. So if it was you, thank you. Let's do it again sometime. (laughs) Right? I don't know. I don't know. But that's a God moment, right? Because it's not just about the money. It's about the, hey, you're not on your own here. You're not alone here as a family. How many of you you got some God stories? right? Maybe you're in the room and you're like, I don't have any. I would have told you until I was 21, I don't have one. I don't have one God story that I could really relate to. And the the thing my now self wants to say to my then self was, are you sure? Are you sure? Or were you just not looking? So let me challenge you. What I'm beginning to do is write down my God sightings. I have on the back page of my journal, God sightings for the duration of this journal. I just sat down and I was like, well, there's one and there's one and there's one. Big little God sightings. Let me challenge you to look, to enter into the discipline of looking and to override that predisposition to seeing the negative by entering data into the system, by recording it and looking and reviewing, okay? So we look at scripture, we look at others, we look at our own lives, we look, we come and we behold, right? That's, that's action item one. Action item two, you ready? This one's trippy to me. It says, cease striving and know. That word cease striving is a really wonky translation of a tough word to translate. I don't like the word stop works, cease works, but it doesn't get it all. Literally, what this word means is to loosen. Loosen and know that I am God. So what I need you to do is grab a pen or something. Maybe your cell phone, maybe the chair in front of you. I don't know. Grab something. I need, show me, show me what you got. All right, don't, you don't get to stay out of this, right? Now I want you to squeeze the living daylights out of this thing. Hold on, don't let go. Come on, squeeze, right? Squeeze like your life depends on it. I want you to feel the sensation of that. Feel it. Your, your fingers are getting tight. You kind of, mm, it works its way up your forearm. Am I right? Can you, you, can all, you can actually feel it up in your shoulder. If you go long enough, it'll creep up into your neck, and for some of you, it'll get a headache, won't it? And your shoulders will get tense, and you're like, this is frustratingly familiar. Now I want you to loosen. Don't let go. Loosen. Feel that. You feel the blood coming back? You feel what it does here, not just here, to loosen? That's what this word means. Loosen. Loosen your grip. Don't let go. He's not saying, let go, let God. Whatever happens, happens. You still have to stay involved in life. Things do fall apart if you renege on your responsibility to be who you are and what you're called to be. But you're not alone. I can loosen because it's not all up to me. It's not just me. It's, it's me and a very present God who's here to help. And so I loosen. And in that moment, it doesn't just say loosen. It says loosen and know, which is another weird word because it's not an active. You can't know, right? This is not a learn word, right? This is not a believe word in the Hebrew, in the original language. It's not believe, it's know. And the way you know is by watching something happen in this word, by taking in an experience of something. Right? It's, almost, it's kind of a very passive idea. And so I'm going to loosen and I'm going to say so that I'm in a head space and a heart space to finally know God. 
because I'm giving him space and room and ram in my head to be who he really is. Is there a chance that you're scared because you can't believe that he's here to help because you've never let him help? Because you've never asked him with any sense that he's really here to help. That's been my story. And so we loosen and know. In the loosening, we enter into a space where we can experience what he's gonna do. Not what we expect or demand, not when we expect or demand. But the idea of loosen and know is to pause instead of reacting, to loosen, to pray, to wait, and to watch what happens. You follow? That is what the psalmist gives himself and you and me in order to calm down. So God is here and he's here to help, but maybe you didn't notice that we skipped verse six. All right, in the, in the spirit of the chiasm, this is a chiasm of chiasms, right? So in this Psalm, we saw verses one through five were bracketed by this idea that God is here to help. In verses seven through 11, there's another one where it's bracketed by literally the exact same words. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. It's the same idea twice, brackets that. But then the whole Psalm then, those two chunks that are bracketed by God's here to help, they bracket a core idea in the middle. And this Psalm wants you to hear something really loud and clear. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. The world is falling apart. They're roaring. It's a key word of loud chaos. And it says he raised his voice. It's a very distinct term. It's not shouting. It's like a dad who says, kids, right? He's not angry. Just like raises his voice. And the kingdoms are raging at the highest volume in order to make things shake. He just goes, kids, and the entire earth melts. The point isn't that he's out to destroy. The point is to show the difference, the power differential here, the bigness and the hugeness of the God who is with you in the chaos. He's huge, he's strong, he's capable, he's powerful. He's huge. That's the central idea. Four times that idea is bracketed by he's here to help and in the center he's huge. And so that's Psalm 46 in a nutshell. God is huge and he's here to help. And if I can get my head around that by by looking and loosening, I begin to unravel and disarm the power of fear in my life. I begin to be able to let go and relax and stop feeling so much anxiety. Does that math add up for you? Does that make sense? That's Psalm 46 in a nutshell. I missed briefly, I'll just touch on this. I didn't talk about Selah much. Happens three times. And I just want to point out, all sila means that we, from what we can tell, is it just means pause. Pause. Which I find, it's in a lot of Psalms, but I love that it's here. Because that's all he's saying. Just stop for a second. Loosen, look, and loosen. That's what Psalm 46 is inviting us to. Look and loosen. So God is huge and he's here to help. When he helps What does that look like? The psalmist doesn't tell us. There's a lot of scripture out there to help us with that. But he's not focused on the particulars of how. He just wants you to stop and let him move. 
So when we want to address the confusion that's driving our fear, we look and we loosen. So here's my question I want to leave you with. I just want to leave you with this one question, and then I want to pray. What is your fear stopping you from doing? How is your fear binding you up and holding you back? For you, is it, I would share my faith, but I'm scared. Okay. Is it, I would confess sin, last Sunday's message, but I'm worried about Da, da, da. Is it that I would forgive, but maybe you're challenged to be missional in adoption and fostering and all the financial and all of the worries and the logistics kick in and it's fear that's stopping you. Maybe you're being challenged to run for office in the middle of all this craziness. Maybe you're challenged to step into vocational ministry start a Bible study at work, give something radical to someone else. God has put that on your heart and you're being challenged to give sacrificially to somebody who needs it, but you're holding back to admonish somebody else to step into community. Where is fear holding you back? Where is your fear causing you to grip really tight? And where are you being challenged to just hang on a second and loosen and give God some space to help you try something you would not have otherwise tried? I want to pray for, to, to round this out, but in order to do that, I, what I actually want to know is, can I pray for you? Is anyone in here scared? Let me rephrase that. In the last week, <laughs> has anyone here been scared? Like, down in the fiber, scared. Can you see what you're hanging on to that's being threatened? Can you see that in your heart and in your mind? Would it be okay if I prayed for you right now? So I'm gonna pray for you and then what we're gonna do is we're gonna sing a song that is basically Psalm 46. We're gonna sing this psalm together. And what I would encourage you to do as we pray is to actually work physically on loosening and creating some space committing that you're gonna work on that this week. And as you tense up throughout the week, I would encourage you to download this song and have it on ready to go, on repeat, to create loosening spaces for you to loosen your grip. But let me pray for you. Let's pray together that, that God would help us be the huge God that's here to help. And let's pray. Father, <laughs> Father, we're scared. We're a people who are intimate with fear and we know it and we confess that. God, we got these VR goggles on and we're struggling to, to lift them off. Would you help us? God, for my friends here in the room who are currently feeling the tension of fear, I'm asking Father that you would help them not not the way we demand or the way we expect, but the way that you promise, God, would you be present? Would you give them the courage to take a moment and to loosen and to give you room to be present, to minister to their hearts through your spirit, to bring about the fruit of the spirit in their hearts and lives, to give them courage and to just give them peace. God, would you help us as a body to be able to, in those moments, because of that loosening, push past our fear into the, the beauty that you've called us to, the beauty of peace and the beauty of bringing that peace to other people.
God, we need you, we love you, we depend on you. We trust, help us with our lack of trust. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.